You are listening to a Raw Collective podcast. Hello and welcome to What Matters Most, a podcast hosted by me, Antonia Preble, and my good friend, Jackie Maguire, who also happens to be a clinical psychologist. Together, we will explore everyday issues that make up the moral and cultural climate of our era, issues that have a real impact on how we experience and feel about our lives. I hope you get as much out of them as we do. Hello, our lovely listeners, and welcome to today's episode of What Matters Most. I'm Zooming, Jackie, today. I wish we were in the same city, Jackie, but we can't have everything, can we? No, we can't. That's life of working moms, I think. It sure is. But today is a really cool topic that I am so looking forward to getting Jackie's thoughts about. Sometimes before an episode, we have, to varying degrees, a discussion about what we're going to talk about. But today, we are sort of just quite interested to see what might happen. So it's going to be quite an organic chat today, I would say. (laughs) We might go rogue. We may go rogue. So yeah, buckle in, everyone. (laughs) But the topic is a really interesting one and something that you may be aware of this concept or not. The topic today is our inner child, which may sound weird, but bear with us and all will be revealed and explained. And the genesis of this idea was a while ago on Instagram, Jackie posted a really powerful photo. It was of a man's head. And inside his head was a picture of a little boy with his head in his hands. And the caption said something along the lines of, remember, everyone has this little person, this little child inside them at all times. So the idea of an inner child, in my interpretation anyway, is this part of us that is still really fragile and sensitive and loving and loves playing and loves easily and isn't self-conscious and does things for the pure pleasure and the joy of it. And that also can get hurt really easily and can feel angry and sad. And these parts of ourselves, they're young. They've been with us for a very long time. But it's really important that we are aware of that and can kind of incorporate them into our adult life. And I found this interesting because there's kind of an intersection of the idea of an inner child between clinical psychology circles and acting circles. Because in acting training, we often talk about having an awareness of our inner child because, again, that inner child, that part of us, is the one who just loves performing, who loves being there with someone else and just playing, doing a scene for the pure joy of it. And I remember as a kid, I just loved performing in this very pure, unadulterated way because I didn't have a strong enough sense of ego, I suppose, to have any self-consciousness or be worried about reaching any particular standard or being stressed about any of the other variables that can come into play. And as an adult, I can sometimes still experience that pure joy, but a lot of the time, those other elements of adulting can creep in. And I always have to really remind myself to try to get back to that sense of the innocent play of the inner child. So I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about this concept from both of our perspectives and see if it might be a helpful thing for people to be aware of their own inner child and how that might help them in their lives. I just went on a ramble. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. So, Jackie, I will now hand over to you. She's arrived at her destination. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I've hogged the mic for a few minutes. So Jackie, from your perspective and your training and expertise, what is your definition of an inner child and why is it important? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some people may not be aware of this concept, but you know, as I have mentioned before, I was raised by a psychologist and a social worker, and particularly my mother, the psychologist, throughout my life has really spoken about having an inner child and how that impacts me as I have developed and aged and come up against challenges in my life or, you know, she often would say to me, remember there's a little Jackie inside of you and what does little Jackie need? And, you know, probably in most families those conversations aren't regular chat across across a cup of tea, but in my household they were. And so, you know, in the world of psychology and psychotherapy, the inner child really is this metaphorical concept that as we age, as we grow up, and grow up is an interesting concept because some people grow up and some people are adults with perhaps a child mentality that they're operating from. But as we age anyway, our life stays with us, our memories stay with us. Those deep emotions that we felt as we experienced our childhood don't get lost. And so this concept of inner child from both a really helpful and effective perspective, but also from a pain and need perspective is that those elements stick with us. And so what do I mean by those, I suppose, two facets of the inner child? As you mentioned, Antonia, young children have an ability to be present, completely present in the moment. They have got an authenticity, an ability to experience wonder and amazement and curiosity and joy so purely. And, you know, we both have toddlers in our house. We witness that. If you don't have little people around you, cast your mind back to, you know, when you last spent time with a young person and the pure amazement and wonder and positive emotion that can be there with that young child. And so those positive aspects of childhood are still within us, even when we grow up and have societal expectations around adulting, as I say. And that doesn't mean, though, that as we get old and as we take on responsibility and as we throw ourselves into careers or whatever may take your time, that we don't still have really a requirement for play, for fun, for pure wonder and amazement and adventure and in the same way that young children do. But somehow the way in which we live now makes it very difficult for people to connect with that. And so part of this conversation is why is that so important to flourish, to have positive mental health, to have really high quality relationships, to be innovative, you know, actually the ability to play and be present and experience joy in such a pure form is really important. The other side to this conversation is probably every single human on this planet through their childhood didn't get their needs met all of the time. And so, again, think about what young children's needs are. At the core, all of us, including young children, need to feel seen, they need to feel loved, they need to feel accepted, they need to feel safe, they need to feel nurtured. You know, if you look at it 
from an attachment perspective, insecure attachment being the ultimate attachment, I'm now switching topics slightly, but it's connected, you know, a secure attachment is when my primary caregiver sees my needs and they respond to my needs and there's a consistency in that. So I don't have ambiguity or anxiety that I need to start fending for myself, basically. And so if you think about those needs of seen and understood and loved and nurtured and safe, if you think about all of us, were those needs of yours met 100% of the time? And it's impossible to, right? Like some people have had very difficult, traumatic childhoods, but we're not just talking about those people. We're talking about literally everyone because just in the course of a day, it's impossible for even the most conscientious loving parent to meet their child's needs every single time, right? Like it is Absolutely. just part of being human to have hurt around that as a child. And I suppose I brought in this concept to go, actually not getting those needs met might not have happened at the fault of the parent. So yes, as a parent, we all know it's bloody tricky to be everything and, you know, to everyone in in your parenting role. And most of the time I think I get it right and sometimes I don't. I stuff it up. And what impact will that make? Actually, it's funny, my mum has always said to me, even through her parenting, I knew I wouldn't get it perfect. And that's something I had to grapple with from a very early stage that I'll stuff it up and I'll have an impact on you in a way that I wish I never had, despite trying my very best. And that's kind of a sentiment that has stuck with me really, which is, I suppose, a realist look at none of us are perfect. But even if you had the most amazing, tranquilic, loving, warm family environment, the world touches you in other ways outside of your core family unit. You have teachers, you have friends, you have neighbours, you have communities. And so the way in which your needs, you know, need to be met might not happen in those circumstances. You know, you may turn up to school one day and someone that you thought was your best friend might not talk to you that day. How many children have an experience of that and that feeling of rejection or completely kind of losing your footing and that safety around who your people are and where your sense of belonging is? that can have an impact on you. And so if you then look at, I suppose, some of the wounds, some literature would call it trauma, and I'm hesitant to use that term in this podcast because through my lens, I think about trauma as big traumas and little traumas. I've spoken about that before, but I think the general population only think about big traumas, whereas actually this conversation really is about both. And so We may all have little traumas in our life, but we can rename them for this podcast as wounds, I think, or pain points or needs that weren't met. And so, you know, if you think about your inner child, you will have needs that weren't met 100% of the time. And likelihood is at some points during your adult life, in particular situations, when you are stressed, when you come up against certain triggers, when you are facing certain challenges, your inner child is probably reactivated or triggered and can then impact our behaviour, our thought process, our relationships, etc. And so I think it is a really important discussion around Who is your inner child? Do you have actually any awareness and connection to that little version of yourself that is still within you? Do you know what brings them joy? Do you know what hurts them? And so can you therefore absolutely harness the joy factor and in moments of hurt, can you in your adult life be the parent in that moment? Can you self-care 
for your inner child when they are in pain? Do you know when that pain is activated? And that's a shortcut version, Antonia, really of this whole conversation of how the hell do you do that and why should you be doing that? So it seems that this conversation is important and it's useful to have this understanding and language around your inner child because it's a way to recognize and understand why we react in certain ways, why we are triggered in certain ways as adults, which otherwise might be quite confusing. And we might also be really hard on ourselves about it. Like, oh my God, I just snapped at my child again when ABC was brought up. Or, oh gosh, I just had another conflict with this particular friend. Why do I keep doing this? And we can beat ourselves up about it. But a more useful way to look at that is to think about that inner child and look at what needs weren't met when we were super young and therefore it wasn't our fault. You know, it's no one's at fault here. We're just trying to work through things that are difficult. What needs of theirs weren't met and how can I, as an adult, nurture and have compassion for little me and help them, help me through this tricky spot with the hope that with awareness and with this love and compassion and understanding and nurture, those wounds might stop being so triggering and you may be able to process those unmet needs that you weren't able to as a child. Well, I think too, it's important to really point out that if your inner child is activated, who's in charge of your brain Mm -hmm. (laughs) and who's in charge of your behaviours? Because actually a five-year-old version of yourself could be holding the reins right now. And do you want the five-year-old version of yourself stonewalling your partner because you're actually afraid they're going to leave you? And so instead of managing that, your self-protection mechanism as a five-year-old was to shut down. And that's now playing out in the room in front of you. You know, do you want the three-year-old version of yourself that has learnt to try and get attention by being demanding and overt and attention-seeking, not from a negative perspective, but because all of these behaviours are protective factors. If you grew up in a household or in a system where you didn't get that love, nurture, need met, then kids are going to try and get that and perhaps they act out or or demand that attention. Are you in a boardroom and your three-year-old self is now demanding the attention from the people around the table? And so it's actually really important to be aware of these so you can consciously be making decisions about your thought processes, how you regulate yourself and how you interact and behave. Because without that awareness, likelihood is in some situations, it is not a adult grown up version of yourself calling the shots. So how do you know if your inner child is triggered and you're coming at a situation from the wounds of your inner child versus you as an adult? I would say, is there a pattern of situations that can cause you to become highly emotive or distressed? Like a one-off where you get reactive or upset or dysregulated. Maybe you didn't have a good sleep last night. Like, I never read anything into one-offs. But if you are in certain situations where you are distressed or where you're behaving in a way that is not conducive to your physical, mental health and well-being, then likelihood is the drive for that behaviour is historic. So what are some examples of that? 
potentially you are somebody that is highly perfectionistic and you work to the point of burning yourself out because you got praise as a young child for achievement. We all like feeling like we get praise and recognition, but if your young child's brain only knows one way to get that praise, then how does that develop into adulthood? I will work myself into the bone so that I can feel good about myself and have self-worth because I have never developed another way to do that. Perhaps I moved countries as a young child, and when I moved countries, I didn't feel like I belonged. I was an outsider, and so I have... Uh, heightened levels of anxiety and worry and fear about group settings and belonging. How does that play out as an adult? Perhaps in social circles or work settings, I'm not comfortable. I don't feel like I can be myself. I feel like I'm on guard a lot. And maybe that's led to anxiety, for example. And perhaps a coping mechanism for that is, well, I start to avoid groups and I start to avoid people because I don't want to feel that pain. Take another example. Perhaps I have grown up in a family or a system where emotions are not okay. So I have learnt to completely suppress any form of emotion, probably outside of anger in some families, because it wasn't safe to do that. I was called a sissy. I was told to harden up. I was wrecked over the coals for my emotions. So I have now developed as an adult to not show those. What's the impact of that? It's bloody unlikely you will form meaningful relationships because relationships take genuine emotion and vulnerability. And if you haven't been able to show vulnerability in your life, any chance you get close to that, maybe you pull out. Maybe you break up with the person you're dating. Maybe you always have a guard up with your friendships. You kind of are always in that self-protection mode. And so you can see how things from childhood even in very subtle ways, have large impacts on our life, on our ability to flourish, to connect with people, to be satisfied in life. And I feel bloody sad when I talk about this stuff, actually, Antonia, because every kid is just doing their best to survive. And every parent, I think, minus a very rare percentage, have done their best to raise their kids. And so, you know, it's like, can we get to a stage where we can simply, without judgment, recognize our wounds, recognize our unmet needs. And as you said earlier, can we see those? Can we hold our little selves with absolute compassion and love? And then can we make some clear choices about how we might like to do it differently as an adult? Okay. So I think using that framework is so simple and so useful. If we recognize that we are engaging in behaviors or in reactions or in situations in a habitual kind of way that we don't like. We're not really all that thrilled about <laughs> about this habit because it's not leading to good outcomes. So we think, okay, I think this may be something to do with my inner child. This may be something that happened to me in childhood that I haven't processed, that I am acting out again and again in my adult life. So we've identified that it may be an inner child issue. What's the next step? What do we do next? Yeah, and I think to recognise that, perhaps you just keep an eye out of any time you feel a big emotion and start a log. Where was I? What was happening around me? And what did I feel? And probably over a period of months of tracking that, you can work out situations where you feel vulnerable 
or where you get triggered and react. I think also a useful exercise is to timeline your childhood. What are the significant events that happened? What are the memories that stick out for you? And, you know, some people may feel able to do this on their own and other people may really want the support of a therapist to do that and that's okay. Absolutely wonderful if you can have someone to coach and guide you through it. But then I think once you have you know, worked out potentially where those triggers, traps, vulnerabilities may be, then it's about, okay, if that situation pops up, if I notice that my inner child is being triggered because I start to react in a really strong way, one, do you have mechanisms to calm yourself in that moment? So that is, can you actually diaphragmatically breathe, remove yourself from the situation, go and do something nice for yourself? You know, can you do something in that moment that will actually just enable your brain to decompress in the immediate And then I think it is about really acknowledging that inner child in you. And if you think about it, you know, your inner child has the language and the capacity of a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, whatever. They don't have a 42-year-old's cognitive ability to eloquently describe what's happening. So why am I saying this? Because many people can cognitively get why they are reacting. I understand this is what's happened to me throughout my life and therefore I get that in these situations I become vulnerable or I become defensive or I protect myself and I react in this way and it's really unhelpful. Yes, being able to cognitively get that is useful. But if you're really going to shift and change that, that needs to happen on the emotional level. That's far deeper than your adult ability to cognitively explain what's going on for you, which means you really need to connect with that little person inside you at their level. What does this look like? That looks like people in therapy who are like amazingly astute, advanced, professional, eloquent people that have no words in those moments of pain. Like they don't have an ability to put their thoughts into structured sentences because they've actually started connecting with the four-year-old inside them. That's in that moment being able to visualise yourself as a young person and go, hey, Jackie, it's okay. I get you're really scared. I get you're really scared that you're going to be on your own. I get you're really scared that you haven't done that well enough. I get you're really upset and worried because you don't feel like there's going to be someone there to care for you. I mean, like, whatever the trigger is, can you really quietly and on your own acknowledge to your little person, hey, I see you and I get your worry and I see your pain and it's going to be okay. I'm here for you. And to me, this sounds completely normal and legitimate and helpful because of the world in which I'm raised. But I understand if this is the first time you've ever heard this concept, you might think I'm barking mad for for saying sit down and talk to this little person inside you. But I think if you can bring that visual element to life, picture yourself and see your role as the carer for your little person, it helps to kind of really understand what's important in that moment. And Antonia, have you ever seen Elton John's movie that he brought out about his life? Yes, I have. So it starts and ends with a group therapy process and Elton is in rehab, I think, and he's sitting around in a circle and spoiler alert, stop listening if you haven't seen it. But at the end, a young boy walks into the circle and he goes into the middle and he hugs the young boy 
and that's his inner child. And it was an amazingly powerful scene. I've got goosebumps thinking about it around that ability to just accept and be kind and compassionate and to love your inner self. And I suppose what I know to be true is that so many people haven't enabled themselves to do that because they don't like the child version of their self, because they've denied their experience to themselves for a long time, because they've rejected what's happened to them, because they've wanted to just addle up and adult up and soldier on. So that ability to really, I suppose, be vulnerable with yourself and be caring and compassionate and kind in those moments is really what is important. Oh, I totally agree. And I also can absolutely understand if people are listening and they are a bit kind of weirded out by this topic because it is a, a new concept. I have found when I've done this work, and again, I've come at it from a, a different perspective with an acting training, but it's fundamentally the exact same thing, just recognizing and nurturing the vulnerable part of us and acknowledging that that part of us is always there. And the way to treat that part is not through anger, self-admonishment, through beating up ourselves, you know, telling off that part. It's about seeing and understanding and being loving and compassionate towards that part, which is very difficult to do sometimes because that part of ourselves is making us behave in a way that we don't like or that's making us feel embarrassed or ashamed or guilty or angry, you know, feelings that are very, very difficult to sit with. And it's much easier and we're probably so much better practiced at telling ourselves off for that. But ultimately that's not going to work or it's not going to be as useful anyway in terms of actually moving on and processing these wounds. So I have found, which you touched on, Jackie, that like literally visualizing, having a picture in my mind of a child version of me, and you can even like literally look at a photograph of you when you're little so you have a clear picture. And there was one really beautiful exercise I've done where you imagine your childhood bedroom and your little child sitting on your childhood bed and you go and sit beside your inner child and you put your arm around yourself and tell them how much you love them and how proud you are of them and how you're always going to be there. And then you can pick up that little child and metaphorically put them in your heart and, and keep them safe there, which I really love that. <laughs> that appeals to my sensibility. But if this idea is resonating with you guys who are listening, but it also feels weird, I would say just persevere with it. It's something that can take time and that does get better with time. So it's about carving out moments in your day perhaps not even when you are activated, when you're in a calm moment and have a bit of space, you can go through this visualization exercise, connect with your inner child, send it love and compassion and nurture and understanding. And as you said, Jackie, find out a bit about it. And I'm sure that with perseverance, and if you feel like it's something that would be better done with a therapist, that's a, a great thing to do. You definitely can get better at it. And the results, I think, can be pretty wonderful. Yeah, and, you know, I get goosebumps hearing about your exercise that you ran through and how amazing that the acting world does that. And I think in a second that's going to segue us into the benefits of being able to really connect with your inner child. But I suppose my closing thoughts around this process, which of course this is a light touch, right? If you're interested, read more, learn more, continue to grow your awareness 
But I think there is true gold when you are able to repeatedly go through this process where you can also get yourself to a place of forgiving those that never met your needs at the time or forgiving those that hurt or wounded you at the time. And, you know, it's really interesting. My therapist, because all psychologists have to have therapists, right? We have to go to therapy to keep our license. We call it supervision. But it's really important that if you're working in this field, that, you know, that I know about my vulnerabilities and my inner child and my triggers and because it's really important that I don't transfer my stuff onto clients or that I don't just bring my story to this podcast. It's really important that I can keep everybody in mind. That's what I think makes psychologists skilled in what they do. But I remember my supervisor one day saying to me, Jackie, forgiveness isn't about making it be okay what someone else has done with you or granting acceptance of their behavior. It's getting to the point where it doesn't impact you anymore. And that has really stuck with me in terms of if you are able to continue to show compassion and kindness and care, be your own parent and adult, you know, in times where your inner child is there, can you get to a point where you can go, actually, for whatever reason, that person acted in that way or failed to act in that way, and they will have had their reasons for that, and I let it go, you know. Because it's good for you. Because it's good for you, yeah. The forgiveness is about you actually, as opposed to the other person. Yeah, that's a great way to reframe it. Because if we hold on to the hurt and anger and pain, really all that does is the long run is impact us. And so, as I say, it doesn't mean that someone else's actions were appropriate, but at some point, how do we get to the point where we can let it lie and let it go? Okay, so now let's move on to the lovely element of this conversation, which is if we are able to connect, acknowledge, have a relationship with our inner child. What does that look like? How can we benefit from that? I suppose I first would ask you, what do you do in your weekly life where you feel completely immersed in it, free of expectation or judgment that you get pleasure from, that you get a sense of awe, of wonder, of adventure? You know, what are the hobbies, the the things you do with friends or partners, what are the activities that you engage in that make you laugh, that bring you joy, that have that complete purity to them? And so I think firstly, it's about acknowledging, do you engage in any of those things now? If I think about my life, that's me dancing with my girls. You know, like we put on music to full bore and Patty will be aghast that I rat him out, but like he joins in and the four of us in the lounge room have these like dance-offs and it is complete, pure, innocent fun. You know, what are your moments like that? Is it for you bushwalking and just being in complete awe of the beautifulness of nature around you? Do you love to cook? And that just brings you an amazing sense of satisfaction and good vibes. You know, what is it that you do? So first, that would be my, you know, the first question I pose to you. The second thing is, if you say to me, Jackie, I have absolutely no idea what I enjoy, what enables me to feel free from adulthood or adulting. That was almost going to be the name of the show, wasn't it, Antonia? That was. was bandied about, you know. What do I do that enables me to just cut the grown-up ties, even if it's for a briefest moment? And if you really find that difficult, and a lot of people do, Antonia, a lot of adults have no bloody idea what is fun to them anymore. Because we're so out of practice, right? 
because we're so out of practice, because we're so responsible and living on a rat wheel and habituated to doing what's productive as opposed to what's fun. Correct. Or just like sucked into this vortex of social media. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> not many people would say scrolling, I imagine, when we think talk about yeah. unadulterated fun. It's, your answer's probably not scrolling. And that was going to be one of my exercises. So brilliant, we're on the same page. Like find an image of yourself. Look at yourself as a three-year-old, five-year-old, eight-year-old, 15-year-old. Like look at yourself throughout your childhood and ask yourself, what did I really enjoy during those periods of my life? And can I find a way to actually go and engage with those activities again? And so, you know, I think that is a useful reflective way of tapping into this pure, authentic version of yourself. And it'd be interesting, Antonia, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you think about your life, your childhood from probably the age of three through to your adolescence, what are the things that you absolutely loved? I loved anything to do with performing, interestingly. So I loved singing. I loved dancing. I loved playing what we called people games, as opposed to, I suppose, Barbie, which was doll games, although I did love Barbies too. But people games involved me and my sister and my brother dressing up in old-fashioned clothes from the dressing up box and playing out various domestic slash dramatic soap opera (laughs) scenes, you know, whatever narrative we were following for the day. I loved it. I just felt completely sparked with something whenever I was doing that. And it absolutely does still ring true at the base of that today. Like I think when you're talking about dancing with your girls, I completely relate to that. Whenever I am dancing around usually with Freddie and Gus, I say to myself, I should do this every single day just for myself because it puts me in such a good mood as soon as I do it. And yeah, performing, when I'm able to just do it for the pure joy of it, I still feel that same spark, but I can often get bogged down in the other more adult pressures that can be associated with it. But yeah, it was singing, dancing, playing people games. So my second question now is think about yourself through childhood and what made you feel at peace? Because I think there's two elements to this, right? There's the fun and joy and the activator. And then there's also that real ability to feel calm and safe. So if you think through your childhood, what enabled you to feel peaceful? I feel like it was just being at home with my family I loved writing as a child, so I would just come home after school and I'd write, I'd call them novels, just sort of serialized (laughs) entries of whatever creativity was sparked that day. And uh, that was a really peaceful, calming thing for me. So it was sort of, you know, being more still and introspective at my house within that cocoon. And do you get that as a grown-up? Do you make time to be still and peaceful and introspective at home? Hardly ever, I have to say. Yeah. And so I imagine for many people listening to this episode, which I dearly hope is helpful for you, that for many of us there are probably things that we either loved or found helpful and calming that have got lost 
as we have aged. And so your homework may be, do you have a need as an adult now? And you might not have that need now. You might feel calm and peaceful in other ways. But if it would be helpful to have a higher level of peace or calm or serenity in your weekly life, and I think many people actively search that feeling, Antonia, given the rat race we live in, you know, how do you carve that out? How do you actually habituate and plan activities and time at home where you can do that. Because interestingly enough, I think we live in a society that rewards you for being out, being social, coffeeing with people, doing activities, feeling like you need to be engaged externally with the world all the time. But actually that ability to just be peaceful at home is really important. And I think we need to also be able to really credit and reward that. Yes, it's such a good point. I totally relate to it. I think I really struggle with prioritizing anything that doesn't appear to have a tangible result, you know, like productivity. Yeah. If there's like washing to be folded slash I could just not do the washing and just sit and, I don't know, write a stream of consciousness page or, you know, whatever it is, it weirdly feels so much harder and more indulgent to do the thing that's sitting still because I am so habituated to moving and moving fast. But I find for my personality a good way to think of it because I am so kind of productivity oriented is knowing that actually doing nothing is really important and is productive. And I mean, I'm just playing mind games with myself here because it does it's not even about being productive. However, there is in a way, a tangible benefit because it is so good for our brains and therefore our productivity in other areas can go up. So however you want to make that equation work, it is such a good thing. And I'm talking to myself here as much as I am saying it out loud to carve out those times to be still and peaceful. So, you know, yeah, you can wrap that through many facets of psychology. You know, my bread and butter outside of this podcast is I support organisations, right? And what's that about? It's about how you sustainably high perform either as an individual team or a business. And so, you know, the evidence is very clear. If you want to perform well, you need to recover. We need to oscillate between being on and being off because we are not designed to be on and hypervigilant and and on top of our game all the time. You will burn out. And so absolutely, if you are motivated through that lens, doing the things that make you calm and peaceful and get your body in a relaxed state an oxytocin state, which is your calming hormone that floods around your body, you know, there is no doubt a productivity benefit to that. But then you, you know, you look at this element of play and being fun, look at research on relationships, doing novel things with other people, doing activities that are new and stimulating to your brain and engaging enhances relationships. So get out or stay at home, but do stuff with the people that you love. Have fun, play, be engaged, because actually that will strengthen and benefit your relationships. So like all good things, psychology, basically we could pick up any theory (laughs) from any angle and they all thread into each other on the benefits. They really do. And it's also helps get into a flow state, right? Like if you're feeling stuck at work or any kind of problem that you're not able to solve, if you can go away and do something fun, creative to stimulate a different part of your brain, it can be so helpful in coming up with new novel creative solutions for whatever's in front of you. 
I feel like I've asked you to be vulnerable without reciprocating. So I'll now share with people because I think that's only fair. So probably like you, for me, what were my pure moments of joy as a child? I was a dancer and I loved nothing more than the end of year production where you got your costume, you were hair and makeup, and I just loved it. For me, if I was in the front row, because it was always the achievement, right? For me, a high, high reward seeking achievement based child, I need to be in the, the centre of the front row because then you've really made it. <laughs> Otherwise, total failure. <laughs> Otherwise, total failure. You might as well not do it. Yeah, really helpful thought process. But like being on stage, lights on you, loved it. Absolute bliss for me. So, you know, if I go, where do I get my fun in 2023? Well, when I am keynote speaking on stage and I'm here and makeup and under the lights and I'm presenting, it's fun to me. People can't understand how I enjoy that. But that's fun, right? Probably like you and your acting. And my peacefulness comes from reading and I speak about that a lot and I still make sure I do it every day because I was that kid that moved cities. I was the kid that, well, I moved to countries. I was bullied for my accent. I found it difficult to make friends and reading provided me a safe world to escape into. And so that sense of calm and peacefulness for me came from novels. And so that is a really important part of my life still to this day. So I think if you can go through that exercise of what gives you the fun and the vigour and what gives you the peace and the calm, try and really find a way of reflecting back, gaining that understanding of yourself and saying, how do I incorporate that in my life today? That is great. I think that's a really beautiful note to end on. I'm so happy with this conversation. We didn't really know how it was going to go, but I think I think that went well. <laughs> I think I think that went well. I think people might need to tell us their thoughts. They might need to well? write in, type in. Did it go well? Did we did we nail that? Yeah. <laughs> Let us know what you think because we do know that this concept, it's not as well known out there in the zeitgeist as others that we might be talking about in this series. But yeah, we really hope that that was useful. And I guess the takeaways are it can be a really useful thing to recognise our own inner child. And we can do that by recognising the habitual reactions to things in a way that we wish it didn't happen. We wish it could be different. At that point, we can look at perhaps what is this reflecting of our wounds when we were a child, and we can start to have compassion for ourselves in that way. And the other way to connect with our inner child is to find the things that we love to do, which is such a great thing to do. I mean, weirdly can be hard because we're addicted to productivity, but really what a lovely exercise to set yourself what is it that I love to do and making time for that and having absolutely no guilt around it because we know actually how important it is. So thank you for tuning in and we really would love to hear your thoughts and hear how you're going with this one. And Jackie, once again, thank you so much for your wisdom. It's been a really, really beautiful thing talking about this with you. Pleasure, my thanks. And maybe I'll just go and open another packet of Countdown Bricks because uh, who loves that the most in this household? Uh, that would be me. <laughs> and Okay, well, you go do that. I'll go get the Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. See you, everyone. That was What Matters Most for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this week's episode, it would be great if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as that helps let other people know that we're here. Thanks again. See you next time. Listener.